think everyone is finished and my mic is not working. No. It's working well enough. I can't hear it. My ears aren't working. How about that? That's where we're at. So uh, we'll dive into uh, Psalm 119. And as I mentioned, you'll look at your table. You see a number there. That is your number for the night. So the number one table again. Here they sit, ready to go. Uh, there will be some discussion time. So if you thought, man, uh, small group prayer time is awkward, it's going to get awkward again. So I just want to forewarn you and be up front uh, with what may happen. But uh, we just, and as I, I mentioned last week, and so just a brief touch on it, uh, we finished Leviticus and, and walking through the Pentateuch a couple weeks ago before I left for India. Uh, we wrapped it up. Uh, there was no way in the world that I was going to get through numbers and finish it before summer hit. And so the idea was to dive into something that I could potentially finish. And I thought for sure I can finish Psalm 119. I'm not confident about that, but I'm going to do my best to uh, to wrap it up. But the idea is to dive into a psalm that, from my own experience, I tend to read, and I don't miss the beauty of it. It's a beautiful psalm, if you understand some of the background, and we talked about that. Uh, every one of those titles is a Hebrew letter in the alphabet. It works through. Every one of those verses is a, uh, usually it's a, a couplet, sometimes a triplet of, of phrases. They're all going to begin with that letter. And so there's an extreme giftedness and uh, beauty to it. And what I found is that I often read Psalm 119 and, and I would be, uh, when I say enamored with the beauty and the flow, but missing the depth of it. And Psalm 19 was a condensed version of a psalm about God's word. And there we tend to stop and pause because there's a lot of verses in Psalm 119. And so we, we read through it and we see the flow. And the goal was, and I titled this His Word, is to work through Psalm 119, uh, but to dive in and understand what we're reading. And so last week, and I'll do a little review, we began that journey uh, through Psalm 119. I want to remind you, of a challenge, I said I would make you feel bad if you didn't, but I'm not going to do that, uh, is reading through Psalm 119 every week and to let that permeate. And so over the next eight weeks, you'll have read through it eight times. And it just gives you a chance to hear those words and engage with them. As I mentioned, each one of the sections, there are similarities because it is poetry and there is a need to start with a certain letter, uh, but there are differences. And so as I mentioned last week, we were working through it, and we were going to look at a breakdown, and I, I wrote this breakdown uh, on a Sunday morning, actually uh, a week ago Sunday. Uh, I got up early and I happened to be reading through Psalm 119, and I write whenever it hits me sometimes. So <laughs> it's, it's written in the Bible I was reading, and it's just to put a title on, on each section. It doesn't mean it's the perfect word that ties in. Uh, you want a different word and the same word. And so this is what we're working with. And if you want a handout, there's a few of them left, I think. And if not, I can get you a copy of them. But the idea is we're going to work through the sections and try to focus on what, it's, what it's, it is focused on. And there's more than one focus, but we're trying to, to zero in. And so we started this last week, got through walk consistently. But I want to review a few of the things we chatted about because I know for myself, and I'm, I'm studying this, I'm sitting down, and I need to remind myself. And so we're going to work through um, some of the words for God's Word again, which I did last week. So if you're here, it may be repetitive. There's a few things I want to add to it as well. And I want to make sure 
these eight terms, and there's more than eight because way is listed and um, thy name and faithfulness are referencing his word as well. But the main eight references to God's word that the psalmist is using will work through. But the idea of this journey, so it's an eight-week journey, is that we will have an increase in our love of God's word, our commitment to obey it deeply. And so one of the goals of Psalm 119 is to drive us to his word and is to understand that the psalmist is not actually being preachy here. He's actually praying and he's, he's asking God and he's constantly from verse four all the way to the end are, are just constant prayers that he's putting out, but he's sharing his life. Uh, the idea is to hold on to God's word firmly in times of trouble. The psalmist is not in a meadow floating around with everything perfect. He just killed the fatted lamb and everyone listens to him and everyone's happy with his life. Actually, he sits and references a time in Israel's history where it doesn't appear because we don't have a perfect placement there, but it doesn't appear that people really want to obey God's word. There's a sense of superficial obedience, but there's a sense of mockery against someone that does obey it. And so there is a sense of, when I say persecution, not in the way that we see in maybe a Muslim country where you're killed for your faith, but it is in a sense of mockery and undermining and what we maybe even see here today in our country, how you'll lose opportunity and people might make you, uh, put you in awkward or difficult social situations, make trouble. And so how do you hold to God's word firmly in times of trouble? And then how do we seek it for deliverance? How do we fight for it? Uh, so many Christians today, uh, when confronted with what they think is an awkward situation between God's word and culture, capitulate to culture and explain away God's word. And you're going to notice that the psalmist doesn't capitulate to culture, but instead actually fights for God's word. That's actually something we're going to see in Titus. Uh, there's a, a verse 9 of chapter 1. He's going to be giving a qualifications for a pastor uh, for an elder, for a leader in church. And he's going to say, look, people that have wrong doctrine, you need to rebuke them. You need to confront them. You need to go, you can't let this slide. In other words, stand on God's word and then to recognize that God's word is sure, meaning it never fails us. And so to understand that, we're going to look a little bit at those terms again. And I'm just going to walk us through, when I say briefly, slightly expanded on it just so we can understand it. Now, I want to mention this out of the gate, we have the benefit of many translations. And one of the things that happens is, and I, I read multiple translations, is that you're going to get one word used for a different Hebrew word. And so I'll try to highlight it. I don't know every version. So sometimes it doesn't hurt if you have a Bible that will tell you a little bit of the history of the word to understand what it means. And I say that because sometimes one will say law where another will say um, ordinance or judgment, and one will say statute where the other one would say precept. And so it's just difficult because we're using the same English word. That shouldn't trip us up, and here's why. Because there is a unity to what is being said here. So every reference to God's word has a, a baseline of being God's word. It's a nuance of it, and because it's a nuance of it and because words different how you might hear them and sound and how someone would translate them. You're going to get a few different words like that. It just encourages us to understand it. So I'm going to give you a terribly pronounced root word in Hebrew next to these. 
uh, except for one of them, which is just too much for me. I might just spell it for you. Um, so you can look at it. And again, it's not the most critical component, but it's going to help us. I just want to throw that out there. You're going to see that as you work through it. One of the ways to understand it is read it in multiple versions, and you'll start understanding what the different words mean, uh, like ordinance and judgment. As I mentioned to you, uh, mo some versions will say ordinance. It's actually better in judge saying judgment because it's a judgment that God gave, but it's not judgment as in God's wrath is judging you, but instead it's a ruling by a judge, a judgment, a decision is what we'll talk about. So I'm going to dive in, look at the word law. Uh, law is Torah, so it's, it's just the word for uh, the law. Uh, you'll know that oftentimes. It's a word that's most often used in this psalm for God's word. Um, it is important to recognize, though, that it, is, it, it communicates correctly to us because when we hear the word law, you understand it, right? There's a speed limit. That's a law. That's a rule. That's a, a fixed standard, and, and the Torah is a fixed standard. We just went through Leviticus. We, we, we heard a lot of law, but we have to understand the root. In Hebrew, the root is important. Uh, it's important in any language, but Hebrew doesn't always translate the same way. It, it actually expresses emotion and connection much better than other languages do. And so it has a richness. So where we are fixated on time, they are fixated more on the mood of it. And so you have to understand the root word. And the root word goes back to the idea of parent, teaching, and the idea of direction. So it is, again, coming from God as law and revelation and I shared last week, it reminds us that revelation is not simply for interest, but for obedience. And then I wanted to add to it, it is both authority and love. So we don't want to miss this idea. Law feels very sterile to us. It's, it's, it's cold. It's just what it is, right? You get pulled over by a cop. If you're going 65 and a 55, you get a ticket, unless you cry and can talk your way out of it. I don't know. How many of you guys have tried that? But I haven't yet on the crying side. But it, it feels very just done, cut and dry. What we miss when we hear the word is the root of it in Hebrew, which is this idea, both authority, that's not taking anything away, but it is love because it is often used in Scripture to, for a father who is lovingly instructing their child. Most of you have kids or have had kids and have grandkids, and you understand when you're training your child, you do so lovingly. You want them to learn. You want them to know, but you're also doing it with authority. So I might be teaching my son how to drive, and I'm not saying I'm the best driver, and I might be telling him some things I want him to do so as not to have an accident. So just recently, he was backing the car out of the garage Heather and I are sitting there. We're getting old enough where we don't want to stand up. And so we said, hey, and I said to him, I said, stop. I want you start the car. But before you do anything, you have made sure that your siblings are not anywhere near the driveway. And then as you back up, never lose focus on your mirrors and your camera. And you're only looking really for kids. I'd rather you hit the other car than hit a child. What am I trying to tell him? I'm trying to teach him. But I mean it. I'm not joking about it. If I ever see him backing up casually, he's going to be in trouble. So there's authority, but the idea is love. There's a love tied to it. That's law. Now, when you come to the word testimonies, idat, and if I'm mispronouncing it, which I am, so don't go quote me and say, hey, Kenny said it was idat, and, and someone says that's not the right pronunciation. They're probably right, 
and I'm probably wrong, uh, E-D-O-T, what is implied here was outspokenness of Scripture, high standards, and a frank warnings. It also connected to the dependability of Scripture, and it's one of the reasons for our delight in his testimonies. Why do we delight in God's Word oftentimes? Because we know it's sure. It's, it's, it's there. Understand this, though, it defines the testimonies, and in Scripture, oftentimes, God will bear testimony to this or bear testimony against the nation of Israel. He says, I will bear testimony of this fact. You'll hear that repeated. And what it shows, and and highlight this, is the mind of God seen in his decisions. And we'll see that again in some of the other ones. Um, Here, the NIV is going to translate it statutes, not to be confused with the other word for statutes. So it's idat, which would be for us testimonies, and it's dealing with this idea of high standards, frank warnings, and the mind of God, what God thinks on something. Then you get to the word precepts, and it's pikudim. It's P-I-Q-Q-U-D-I-M. I'm mispronouncing it for sure. Um, it's a word. I, For some reason, it just appeals to me. Um, it's a word that connects the idea of overseeing, managing a project or work. It ties to very particular instructions from the Lord and shows his attention to detail. You are a manager overseeing it. And we talked about that, right? If you're a project manager, if you're building a house, your project manager that's on site, you want to be a detailed person. You're not looking for the CEO of the company to say, yeah, it's going up. Walls, roof, looks like it's moving along. Everything's great, right? You want someone who says, did they put the insulation in right? Did they do the plumbing right? Did they run the pipes in the concrete before they poured the concrete right? And and the idea is practical application in the minutia of life. And that is a critical idea. God is detailed. So precepts is a word I enjoy because it speaks to details. God is not casual. He is not just overarching, looking down at the ant farm and wondering what they're going to do. God's involved in life. And precepts drives you to see this idea that God is involved in the details or the minutia of life. Statutes, which again, uh, and here the NIV will translate it decrees. and, And statutes and decrees, you can see how those words are similar. Again, it's a choice of a translator. Um, It is hukim, H-U-Q-Q-I-M, and some commentators will put H-O-Q as the root word. Uh, The one I was using was just getting a little bit more detail tied to it. It's the will or the drive, and it sees Scripture as a binding force and permanent. And that's what you're seeing. It's the endurance of God's word. It doesn't change. It speaks to God's character. He's immutable. He's not a God that changes. That is actually a critical component uh, to how and why we worship. Our God does not change his mind. We don't get to heaven and he says, yeah, you know, I decided to change it. I try to change my mind about that. I'm not okay with the son's sacrifice. It's not sufficient for you. See, God doesn't change. And so you never have to think that thought. His word doesn't change. So therefore, it is binding. It is permanent. It doesn't move with culture. Have you ever heard the word, that's not relevant today? Ever see that about Scripture? Well, Scripture's not relevant today. That doesn't work when you use the word statutes, because that's permanent. It's, it's, it's eternal. It's not changing. It is forever. 
And so we know, if you really understand Psalm 118, when someone says Scripture's not relevant, no. If anything's not relevant, culture's not relevant to what God wants, not God not relevant to what culture needs. You move to commandments, and it's miswat, M-I-S-W-O-T. And this is the idea of straight authority, right? If someone gives a command, if you're in the army and someone gives a command, if they're a higher-ranking officer, you have to what? Listen. And in the military, they understand that, right? If you're a private and that's a lieutenant and they say do that, you ask how quickly, which way, what color shirt should I wear? I mean, you're interested in obeying. It's straight authority. It's, it's unquestioned. And this drives us to the reality that, that the God's word is still practical. It does tell us what to do. It's not unknown there. And then the word ordinances, which does move a lot. So there's a different translations. Ordinance is one way to say it. Judgments is another way of saying it. And then another translation actually used the word law here again. And you'll understand it. It's, it's seen as decisions is how I use it. Think of a, a judge deciding and setting the precedent. If you're a lawyer, you're interested in precedent, right? They, they go to precedent all the time. This is what was set in a, in a ruling, and if you want to argue your case, one of the ways you'll win the argument is by going to what is precedent before. Judgment, that's what it is. It is a precedent that is set, and again, it depicts the mind of God. This is what God has decided about this. Ordinances is judgment. Is, is there or, ordinances, judgments, and then some say law. But the concept behind it, and I think the word judgment is probably the best, even though in our mind we think of judgment like punishment or wrath. It's not that. It's a ruling. It's so think law, think a judge makes a ruling on something, and that's what it is. It is an ordinance. It is a ruling on. It is a judgment. This is what I've decided. And as some people say, law, because oftentimes an ordinance would equal a law. But it, is, it has this central idea of making a decision. And so it depicts, again, the mind of God, his decision on matters. Then you're going to see the word word, and it's the bar, And that's actually a, a root word there uh, used often. It's the broadest of scriptural references, embracing all of God's truth in any form. What I want to add from last week is the idea that it is divine speech. It is God speaking. And so it is emphasizing that God has spoken about this. It's not an unknown. So when you reference word, it's saying God said something about this. There's, there's a connection. And then promises, which is imra, I-M-R-A. Dabar is D-A-B-A-R. Imra is, is often translated, uh, it's sometimes translated as word, but it is from a different Hebrew word there. And it points to what God has said, but it's linking to this idea, God has said it, so it will happen. That's why promises is a little, it's a, it is a completely different word. It ha- doesn't even share the same root. Um, you understand in English, though we may think we have the richest language in the world uh, because we speak it, it's not. So as you move around the world, the ability to express yourself and to be more specific, uh, English is not one of the top ranking in my mind, and as you dive into Greek, there's, there's exponentially more words, so their, their language works in the same way ours does, so they think in tense or time more so. Uh, Hebrew is, is more, I call full-bodied. It, it's more about the mood, and the mood will dictate some of the, the timing, so they're less consumed with 
present, past, and future. It's going to be implied more in the mood. Uh, it makes it a much harder language to study, but it also is a, is a very rich language um, to dive into. There's other words like way, which is Derek. It, it's not, it's a different word, and it points to an idea, and it's important because you're going to see it tonight. D-E-R-E-K, which means way. It is the way. Um, and it points to this idea of lifestyle, actually. So it's God's way, what he would want, thy ways. And it's saying, as we break it down into our thinking, it would be more of like a lifestyle. Uh, and then you're going to hear the word name and faithfulness. The point, as we discussed last week, is that his word must penetrate into the everything of life. And what I want you to grasp, and I'm going to repeat these definitions. I want you to read over them. I'm trying to read over these definitions as I walk through each chapter or each section. But as you read through it, you start getting what I call the, the breath of what he means by God's word. Because as I go back to the beginning, one of the things I do is typically read Psalm 119. And I'm struck by the poetic beauty of it. It, it has a sing-songy type of flow. And if you look at me thinking, he's crazy, that means you have zero poetic bone in your body. Because I have a very low poetic bone. And so if you can't even pick up on Psalm 119, it's okay. Then get into these words and understand it. But it flows, it moves, there's beauty. There, there is uh, word play that's in there. We don't even pick up on a, on a fraction of what it is in Hebrew. But it's just a beautiful psalm. But there's depth to it. And the thing is, we sometimes give an acknowledgement, right? We say, oh yeah, Scripture should influence all of life. But Psalm 119, as we study it, confronts us with the idea that God is not looking for a nod in his direction. He's not saying, God's word tells me everything about my life. And I say, yep, that's true. And we do the head nod. We're comfortable with the head nod or the acknowledgement. And Psalm 119 is going to confront that. It's driving us to an energized pursuit down a specific path. You're not meandering in God's word. Psalm 119 is an energized pursuit in a specific direction. That's what the psalmist is driving us to. And I, and I'm speaking just for myself, I tend to meander down the path of Psalm 119, looking at the flowers and seeing how pretty it is. And it's relaxed stroll. I'm not saying it's stressed out. I'm saying that that's not, the, that's not what the psalmist is actually trying to communicate to us. He's saying, pursue God's word in a very focused way, in a very focused direction. It's not anywhere it's this way, and it's not lazily or casually. It's very focused and energized. And so we must walk consistently, which was sections one through eight. And then from there, and, and walking consistently is having a life fully integrated around the law of the Lord. And that was last week. And to do that, we dive into the next one, um, Psalm 119, 9 through 16, which is seek consistently. I'll skip a few slides here. Because one, I can't change my own. Uh, oh, there you go. That's, how, that's the slides I can do. The ones Theron can do, pretty. And this is what I can do, scribble on there. So you see my skill set is low. And if you can read my handwriting, well, then I guess you can read your doctors too. I don't know. I see it's terrible. But I try to change it, and it's, it's no good. Uh, Heather blames me for our children's terrible handwriting. Hers is good. Mine is horrible. So I have a hard time talking my way out of that. So we're diving in. This will be the discussion question as we dive into this portion. So I'm going to talk a little bit about the psalm portion. And then at each table, we'll chat for a little bit. 
and then maybe share a little bit of the insights and then move forward. I'm hoping that we can engage with each other a little bit. And if you don't know the people at your table, introduce yourself and then move on. If you're a guest, hey, we're sorry for making you awkward, but uh, yeah, we'll probably still do it. So uh, let's dive into this section here, 9 through 16, and I'll read it. Uh, and you just kind of walk through in your scriptures, highlight the words that we just talked about. So, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereunto according to thy word. With my whole heart have I sought thee. O let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. Blessed art thou, O Lord, teach me thy statutes. With my lips have I declared all the judgments of thy mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of thy testimonies as much as in all riches. I will meditate in thy precepts and have respect unto thy ways. I will delight myself in thy statutes. I will not forget thy word. And this section begins with a question. And I hope we all ask ourselves that question, and you can pretend to be young even, right? Um, it says, how does a young man cleanse his way or keep his way clean? And I think about our youth, even our teenagers, and you say, I hope they ask that question. I hope that's interesting, because what do we typically do? We're going to stand out there, we're going to teach them, we're going to tell them what they should think, right? We're going to always be giving, dumping into them. And what we can desire from them is that they actually respond with, how in the world, Lord, do I keep my way clean? And, and Scripture tells them. And so we move from this. And the essence of the question is, how do you live a God-honoring life? Right? It's an outward problem. Here is him from a young, taking the perspective of a young man and not saying that the psalmist was a young man, but that perspective. How does a young man cleanse his way? How does he keep it clean? What's the, what's the expression of having a God-honoring life, an outward expression? And the answer or the solution is an inward solution, right? The answer is seek his word consistently, frame life with God's parameters, make sure you're diligent to find those clear guidelines and apply them. One writer notes this about this section, see amazing truths in the word, meditate on it, hide the word, and then he said this, we ought to work the truths of Scripture into our affections until they shape our loves, hopes, and imagination. And my word is seek consistently. How in the world does anyone have God's word permeate to the depth that we're talking about here? How does a young man cleanse his way, taking heed in the in the and the idea is not casual in that word of taking heed. It's, it's diving in. It's not a casual approach. We take heed. With my whole heart have I sought thee. Thy word have I hid. Teach me thy statutes. And what do he say? I declared thy judgments. And remember what judgments are, right? I declare God's decisions. I declare God's mind. Judgments remind us of rulings that God has made. God has decided. And what is God has decided, I make known to people what God has decided. I, I declare what he says. He rejoiced in them, thy testimonies, meditated in thy precepts. And I want you to get this because 
When people think of meditation, what comes to mind? When people think of meditation, what do they usually envision themselves? Yoga on a hilltop. Mindlessness is often the case. It's, ah, oh, let's think about the big things. What is precepts? Minutia. I think about the minute details that God wants me to do, what he says to do. I'm not floating. I'm not saying you can't be in the mountains. Climb the mountains if you want to. Um, be up there, enjoy nature. But it's not this overarching. What are you meditating on? The details of life. You're thinking about how you will serve and please and live for God in the details of life. That's where I think sometimes understanding those words in the background of them will help us as we walk through. He delights myself in thy statutes. I'm delighted by the eternal nature of God's word. I'm delighted that it's always relevant. That no matter how awkward I may feel in my culture because of God's word, I am thrilled and delighted and rejoice in it. And then it's, I will not forget thy word. And I want you to see again, if you're noting it in your Bible, and I just circle it, and I'm not saying you should mark up your Bible, because it depends on if you want writing in your Bible or not. Uh, it took me till I was 30, I think, before I wrote my Bible. So just understand, it took me a while to, to mark in my own Bible. But if you do, highlighting the words for Scripture that jump out, but it's an interaction with every facet of God's word and involves an active pursuit of what God has said. So active that we will, and I use the word over abundantly, actively hide it, seek to be taught it, make a point to proclaim it. And I, I put a note here, if you're a true seeker of God's word, ultimately you become an advocate of God's word. Uh, when I see people that say they seek God's word, but they don't advocate for God's word, then it tells me there's some split problem going on with them because they're saying, yeah, well, I'm seeking it, but you know, you're not really seeking it. Because as you seek to know God's word, you will automatically become someone who talks about it. Uh, you want to know if you're a true seeker? Find out if you're a true talker. And you'll understand. And the psalmist shares that with us. Uh, take time to think on it. Enjoy it, which is something we'll talk about more in the next section. And finally, don't forget it. Which, think about this. I just walked through and I told Heather a couple things. I said, hey, please remind me of this. Because I know I'm going to walk in here, I'm going to start talking, and I'm going to walk out, and what I have wanted to remember is going to float from my mind, right? If you really want to remember something, what do you do? What are some of the things that you do? Obviously, I tell my wife because I'm used to taking orders from her, so boom, I will remember because you have one, two, I know what I have to do. So what do you do to remember something? What do you, if, if you have work to do it at a project or something, what do you do? How do you help yourself remember? Write it down. Where do you write it down? Somewhere prominent? That's a very general way. Where is prominent for you? There you go, on your phone. What else do you do? What's other ways you do it? Post-it notes. I'm glad there's some more old-fashioned people there. I scribble it on three pads, so it shows up somewhere. And on my phone, but I will forget to look at my phone. So that's, that doesn't. What do we do? We actively pursue remembering it. We'll put it in our calendar. We'll put it on our phone. We'll put it on a post-it note. We'll put it somewhere prominent. We've got the overarching theory here. Um, we'll, what do, we take action to remember it. And this is not one of the questions, but there's a, an honest thought to think about. What do you do to actively remember God's word? And not just so you can regurgitate it. 
What do you do so God's word will come to mind when you are confronted with a situation, which is all of life, by the way, where you need to apply God's word? And we forget that he is not casually doing this. He's not accidentally remembering God's word. He is actively remembering it. So I put here, uh, don't leave remembrance to the fickle nature of your memory or your emotions. Sometimes if you get upset at something, you remember it, right? I'm always shocked by that. Someone say, I can't remember where I, where I parked the car, but I can remember what my wife did 20 years ago and what she was doing, wearing, what she said, and how, how it made me feel, right? Don't leave it to your emotions and don't leave it to your memory, both of which will fail you. They're not infallible. How I feel about something doesn't make that situation a reality. You may respond to something with a lot of passion, but maybe you shouldn't. You're not trusting your emotions. You trust in his word, and you're grounding everything in that, and so you're actively remembering it. So we talked about this last week. It gets to street level. So now the awkward table conversations. So you're looking around. You're thinking, who's going to talk at my table, right? No one's making eye contact. It's whoever looks at me, and then whoever's looking away, I'll call on. So it's just a weird dynamic. It's just a, it's a bully pulpit. That's what happens right up here. I am abusing the fact that I have a microphone. I admit that up front. I just want you to know. But this is street level, and, and it's, a, it's a phrase that I enjoy because we love to study at times and never get to reality. And there are plenty of people that do it. So how do we bring this idea of seeking kiss consistently to a street level, and so I put here, come up with some practical, real-life ways that we can be active seekers of his word in all of its facets, the dot, dot, dot I filled in. So last week it was dot, 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 and this week I've added to it. And so take some minutes, five minutes or so, to talk with your group. But I want to use Corey as an example. I hope you'll forgive me for it. I don't want to hear store it in a prominent place. That's not it. I'm looking for, I put it on my phone in notes, or, and I'm not saying that's the answer, so don't use it, table three. But it's, what is a real life, how do you get to the ground level? What are you going to do to be an active seeker of God's word in a real practical way? So take three to five minutes, chat, and then we'll just go around the room. I'm not going to make it awkward. So if no one wants to pop up from your table, that's okay. We'll move to the next table and on. I'd love for you to be able to talk. Um, some of you I know are talkers, so I'm just going to stare at you awkwardly and play the silence game, and we'll see who wins. So uh, go ahead and chat a little bit about that and, and think of some. I'm going to give you one illustration just to remove it from your uh, docket. Read the Bible daily. See consistently. Number two, dive into a one-volume commentary. I won't give any more. So now you can run with it. That's the kind of practical I'm looking for. You know, then we'll let someone else talk at your table. It sounds like <laughs> Corey's all in on this whole idea of prominent place. So you don't worry. He's going to be good to go. He has to redeem himself. So he's going for it. So take three to five minutes, and we'll go through that and chat about it.
All right, because I tend to talk too much and have at least get through one more section and we'll never finish in eight weeks. But uh, we'll go around the room here and briefly on the table, one thing, you got to do it in a sentence or three. How about that? I, I apply a standard I don't, I don't do myself. But uh, so I'll start with, how about we start with, we'll do table one again because John likes to talk. So some, <laughs> so if you have one thing from your table, what kind of common ground, what's one thing that, that resonated about how we could seek uh, seek him consistently, seek his word. So we have the, the consistent, intentional priority table number two. What do you have? So repeat, priority, prayer, time, back in, being prepared for life situations and not letting it waylay it. Table number three, prominent place, was that? I think it's good to, to focus on it. I'm going to throw out another encouragement. I would say stay on your plan and read it again. So that adds a little layer to see how more time could be added to it. So you're constantly adding more, but also uh, letting it and coming back to it and studying it, which is one of the ideas, even with a, a commentary. Uh, pick up a one volume to start with. And, and so I'm planning on picking actually up one for my oldest son and getting him a one-volume commentary, but not just dumping in his lap to add to his library, but then saying, how can we walk through it together? How can we talk about it so that we can work through it? So over, as he gets older, he starts using that and understanding, but doing what you're mentioning is saying, okay, make sure you understand what you're reading. And if you don't, take some time and dig in and study. Uh, table number four, what do you have on the list there? There you go. We're not becoming sinker sensitive. We're saying seeking consistently. Those adverbs, you know. <laughs> Good.
good keeping it in front of you. I love the idea of using uh, technology has its advantages and disadvantages, right? We, I was talking with Heather about the danger of your phone and it's constant, what it does to people's psyche, but what it does here is taking it and using that for good. And I love the listening component. Uh, Dr. Forrester is a mentor in my life. He lost his sight at nine, had two doctorates by the time he was 26. And he was traveling, we were traveling together and he says, you need to sit down and listen. Now, of course he's blind. So bringing his Bible is, is this massive volume. So when he's traveling, it's always listening. And he actually encouraged the listening to God's word, hearing it said uh, out loud. So that's a great way to keep it permeating. As you guys mentioned, different senses that are, that are brought into to play there. Uh, table number five, what do you have for us? Good. We're, the idea of getting beyond just reading the words but understanding uh, what they're saying, I think we're seeing a, a consistent pattern through the tables. Table number six. not something even if you read about the Puritans that they did very well is that their day was woven into God's word. So as they walked out and experienced not just nature, right? We always think about that. Oh, the birds are singing. It's sunny outside. Uh, but there's days you walk outside and there's ice, you slip and fall. It's not the best thing, but they would go into their work. A blacksmith would be thinking about God's word and what what's possible, what's there. And so it's just constant permeation. Uh, so some of the things we listed, priority, there's the idea of, of study, which I think is amazing. We need to be studying God's word and diving into it, uh, using other uh, sensory ways to listen and, and, and capitalize on time. When you're talking about listening in your car, uh, you shouldn't be driving and reading, but you can listen to God's word. You can be mowing and put it in and listen to it. And so all these different ways to, to dive in. I think the idea of prayer, and you're going to see that, remember that a lot of times we're seeing him say, give me understanding. That's actually praying for understanding, so seeking him uh, in that way. I want to add a couple just to put in your mind because there's verses. He said, he declared thy judgments, and I wrote, talk about it. I say, talk about it with the lost, about what you've read. Uh, they're not going to necessarily appreciate it, but it's evangelization. It is, it is connection. It is communication. He wasn't declaring thy judgments necessarily to an audience that wanted to hear what God had decided, but instead was declaring it because that's what he rejoiced in. And a lot of you have said this, and I think it's wonderful, the idea of thinking over it. So listening to it is another format, but also playing it on repeat, reading it over and over again, letting it kind of permeate, and the idea of memorization and attaching it to real life. 
We don't have a lot of time, but I want to dive into this idea of desire consistently and read it. And we can always touch on a little bit more next week. But verses 17 through 24, because if you're going to seek something consistently, you're going to really want to desire it consistently. And so he says here, deal bountifully with thy servant that I may live and keep thy word. Open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. And that's the driving verse uh, in, in my mind for desire, that I can see wonderful things out of thy law. I am a stranger in the earth. Hide not thy commandments from me. My soul breaketh for the longing that it hath unto thy judgments at all times. Thou hast rebuked the proud that are cursed, which do err from thy commandments. Remove from me reproach and contempt, for I have kept thy testimonies. Princes also did sit and speak against me, but thy servant did meditate in thy statutes. Thy testimonies also are my delight and my counselors. And I want to dive in here with a small illustration uh, connecting to going to India. And I, I put this down. I have no desire for Indian flavored food. It's not that I find it unedible. I can eat it. I can survive I didn't lose any weight, so when I was in India, it, everything's fine. But if you ask me, do you want to go eat Indian food, I have one answer for you. No, I don't. Cody wants me to go to the Indian restaurant here in town. My desire to try that out has gone down. I'm going to go with him because I'm going to go hang out, and I'm going to eat what he likes and maybe make fun of him if I don't like it. But the fact is, I don't want to eat it. I, I want to actually go get Latin food. That's what I like. Um, but if you're going to eat something to have an appetite for it, you have to desire it. So if you're going to desire something like God's word, then you have to have an appetite for it. And so the psalmist requests to God, open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. He is literally going to God and saying, I want you to make sure I see what is delightful about thy, your law. I want, you, I want to see the truth there. The need to go to God, it's actually a concept that Paul speaks about in 2 Corinthians 3, 14 through 18, about how their, the Jewish minds were blinded. They wouldn't listen to Moses. They, they had a veil. They couldn't understand it. And so he talks about that there, the idea of needing the Lord uh, to open up their eyes so they can understand the truth. And so here is a psalmist, and recognize this as a prayer. God, help me see the wonderful things in your law. And here's a question to ask yourself. Have, when was the last time you prayed to God? And I'll confess since I'm asking the question, I can't remember right now. God, help me see the wonderful things about your law. I have prayed, help me understand it. Help me be able to talk about it. Help me be able to preach it. But I, I, I listen to this and this, it's the idea of appetite. It's the idea of desire that is coming out. Lord, Help me see the wonderful things in thy word. It's not for this pragmatic purpose, but to actually understand it. And he needs and he recognized the need for God to reveal his truth to him. You go on. He feels or is a stranger in the world that he lives. And, and here's one of the understandings, because it's likely that he's Hebrew. 
that he's right where he was born. So why the sentiment of feeling a stranger? And, and some of the things I was reading and, and studying on, it says maybe he was a stranger in the sense that he's actually trying to follow God's word and the community he lives in is very superficial about it. And you feel that in Psalm 19, it's going to keep coming up. And, and it starts here, 23, princes also did sit and speak against me. What princes? Well, they'd be noblemen, noble people, influential people, elite in Israel, in his community, around him. He's feeling the weight of, quote unquote, his culture that doesn't see God's word the same way he's going to see it. Yet when it comes to fitting in or connecting, that's not his request. God's word remains the all-consuming longing. I'm a stranger, but he says, hide not thy commandments longing unto thy judgments at all times. So even though he's ostracized from his culture, feeling the pressure of his society, again, it's not an, an amoral or ungodly society in the sense that they reject God completely. He's not referencing an Israel that is worshiping idols. He's referencing an Israel that looks like us in the United States, a very traditional faith, a very surface deep faith, and he's praying for something different, and he's expressing his desire. Uh, and what he's saying is in every instance of life, no matter the pressure or position in which he finds himself, he is fixated on obeying God's word. What did Thermogene mention? When you face a situation, you remind yourself, there's a, there's a physical memory of going back and saying to get in God's word to deal with it. He's facing pressure. And I want us to, to move out of the bubble of sunshine and everything perfect and go to a dark, gloomy day where you slip on the ice idea. And he's saying, even when that crushes down and it doesn't seem overly practical to be in God's word, he goes to God's word. And so you understand the situation. He's fixated on obeying God's word. He recognizes that those who do not it's are rebuked, which do err from thy commandments. And so he says, even if the elites or influential of life are against him, he will meditate in thy statutes. God's testimonies, he says, are my delight and my counselors. And counselors, someone you go to for advice. But this is idea of uh, we see counseling as usually we're seeking help uh, in that sense. Here, the counselor is your advisor who, who helps direct your life. And they are, and this is the understanding, God's testimonies are desired and followed. He actually plans on listening to what God says. Verse 17, the beginning of this, this question makes abundantly clear the psalmist desired deeply to be God's man, to live a truly spiritual life. I want you to understand when he says, uh, deal bountifully with thy servant that I may live. He is not in this context saying, I'm sick as a dog. I hope I survive this. He's not saying, help me be successful financially. He's not saying make sure life works for me in this culture in this time. What he's saying is help me to be God's man, to live a truly spiritual life, meaning for and in light of who God is. Deal bountifully with thy servant that I may live, live a life of value for God, live a truly spiritual life. And then he tells you how it's done and what? Keep thy word. And so I wanted to kind of, Give us a discussion question, uh, topic scribbled up here. Um, how do we grow our depth and intensity? But I want us to give us a little topic before that, um, looking at street level in our lives. Here's a reflective thought. Does our active desire for God's word replicate 
to the same depth and intensity what the psalmist is sharing in these verses. Because that's what hit me when I, when I wrote the word desire was this idea, do I seek God's word to the depth and intensity that the psalmist is communicating? Because he says, he, he's asking God to deal bountifully and, and we immediately think he's asking for what? Material things. But he's not. Because he said, I want to live a spiritual life. I want to live for you. And then he, he sums it up and keep thy word. And he's using the most general reference to God's word here. He's talking about the all to what God says. And then as you work through, he wants to see the wonders in his law. He says, even though I feel like a stranger, I'm going to follow the commandments. Uh, don't forget 23. Princes sit and speak against me. Think about that. Imagine being at work. What happens at work? Someone says something against you that's a lie, that's, that's undermining you. Because you're a believer, they're going to go after you. What does the psalmist say that he does in that situation? What does he think about? Statutes. What are statutes? What, what do they speak to? It's the Word of God, but there's something about the Word of God. The statutes has this idea of binding forts and what? Permanence. Eternal. What someone lies about you, is that forever? What is forever? What God says. And so what is he, what is he going to? The, ant, the, the opposite of what's taking place, he's in God's word. He's studying it. And so I, I was thinking through this, and this really hit me. Do I, so I'm going to rephrase it, do I have the same active desire for God's word at the depth and intensity that this psalmist is, is saying? And it's, it's not something for us to answer. It's not a thought I'm asking you to share. It's a thought I'm asking you to think. Does it describe us? And then the question that I hope we can dive into, and we'll start with this next week, how do we grow our depth and intensity, and I didn't add it because I was just scribbling, of desire for God's word. And I want to give us a thought. Uh, sometimes it's what we need to cut out that will allow a full body flourishing of interest in God's word. And, and I put it, I was just talking uh, with a guy about clematis. And so we're trying to figure out some production things. And they were talking about how often they prune them. And it's, it's two times before fall. And then again, they're pruning uh, them in January. And it's this idea of cutting so it branches and it grows. And, and that happens a lot when we're growing plants in a greenhouse is we're going we're gonna to cut out to promote branching and get a full-bodied, robust plant but we're cutting something out. And so as you look at this question, how do we grow our depth and intensity? And I'm thinking of the word desire. I think I could actually write it, but I can't write it on the screen. Um, the desire that we have. So think about this. If you're going to have an appetite for God's word, and I want you to think about how you grow that, and I want you to weigh in your mind possibly what has to come out so that that can have a full body expression. So that's going to be our uh, starting point next week as we dive in and just kind of work through this. I had hoped to get through one more section, which I did not. So uh, I hope that we can all continue working through this, studying it. Uh, I want to challenge you, read through Psalm 119. Uh, you guys did great on the discussions. I will try to work on how much I talk so that we have more time to discuss and work through it. But the idea is for us as a group uh, to come together and be able to study this and understand it to the depth and maybe confront how we think about it. So far, 
I've asked you all questions where you can give me ways you're doing it. I don't know if you picked up on that yet. This was kind of, I initially thought, just write it as a, as a thought question. I thought, no, let's go ahead and have a hard question. So you have a week. What are you getting rid of to have, have more desire? What, what, and I'm not asking you to confess all the sins you have. I'm not your priest and no one else is, is your priest to hear either. But let's be, let's be diligent about this. Let's not pretend that we're here and, and then just skate on by, but let's think about how we're going to actually grow our depth and intensity. How do you go from where you're at now to having more depth and intensity? What maybe needs to change? What needs to come out? What needs to be fertilized? What, what is it that we need to do? And so we'll dive in right into this awkward question next week. And if I see only five people here, then I know how you are. So this is really putting the, the onyx on you like, I don't want to see the, oh, I don't feel well. It's too dark at night kind of thing. Your car has lights, all right? And if you need to ride, you just call me because we have people that gladly pick you up. And after that, you always drive yourself. So either way, I hope you'll be here. Think about that. But let's, let's be confronted with God's word. Let's, let's be driven to be more like what he's saying we should be like. Now, let's go ahead and close in a word of prayer. Hey, Father, thank you for the opportunity to dive into your word. Thank you for uh, believers that want to dive in, want to study, want to share uh, things that help them. I hope that we will take uh, some of what we learned uh, through the lesson and, and maybe these illustrations of priority, of this idea of study and focus, this idea of, of taking the technology we're blessed with and, and using it for the furtherance of your word and your gospel uh, in our lives, and that we can apply that and help us to be confronted. Help us to see where maybe change is needed in, in our habits and specifically in our desires as the psalmist is diving deep in, into our thought life, into what we really want, into our appetite, and, and how we see him seeking the Lord to, to grow his appetite, to, to see the wondrous things in the law, uh, to desire it. In your precious and holy name, amen.